this is exactly what God has in store because he's putting me in front of certain people. And now I find out that the people who I was to be, the people that I was involved with, poured into me a different level of ministry. And that the purpose, so it seems today, for me to go to Texas was to do the work that took place over these last three years that slayed the groundwork and introduction to the place where I'm going to be working tomorrow. This roundabout way how God is just orchestrating and moving things around when we think we figured it out, he has done something completely different. I'm thinking it is the plant ministry, although we did start a Bible study, but it was to get me back here to this place to, to see. And I believe in those three years that I've been changed. I didn't realize it until we had a conversation at our Bible study on, on the direction of how ministry should go. With, uh, and then when I had fellowship with Pastor Ray, uh, talking about direction and ministry, and it realized I've been changed from the person that I was before. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful to God because he is doing something that I feel is going to manifest itself right here in this place. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, it's, as, as I'm talking, I'm thinking about this, Reverend Mike was, was uh, initially on, on some of the internal emails that we were sending when we were talking about forming uh, this church. And then, you know, as circumstances happen with things, it just didn't work out and he's back where he was and, and we continue to do what we do. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at, well, Brian's gone, we gotta do something. And I reach out to, to Reverend Mike and he's like, hey man, yeah, I'm, I'm, whatever you need, I'm here. And he comes in here and preaches a good word. And the people, you know, you know what? We like Reverend Mike. Reverend Mike's right on the money. And then we start engaging more and more. And then I get a phone call from one person that says, I'm glad you're coming back. But is there a possibility we get Reverend Mike to stay? <laughs> in which I engage him. And he said, you know, let's talk. Let's talk. So I'm grateful for that time that he was here, uh, that you guys received him and his wife. And, and, and needless to say, I want to tell the both of you, everybody just loved the two of you, the fact that you just walked right in and acted as family and not standoffish or anything of that nature. But it really, this whole thing, all of this has kind of led me today to think about the condition of the world. Uh, if those of you, if you drive like I drive or drive the direction I drive here, you probably drove through Redondo Beach Boulevard and uh, other places in Los Angeles, as I heard uh, discussion taking place this morning, that we've seen Redondo Beach Boulevard has now changed from Redondo Beach Boulevard to Re Recreational Vehicle Boulevard with all the people who are now living in their recreational vehicles and cars along the boulevard. And, and what we found out from other people that there are other streets, Broadway and Avalon, that we have this huge population within this population <clears throat> that are living on the street. <sighs> and it just, it, it hurts me. As a Christian, it hurts me. Especially when I go to a, uh, a restaurant that I like to go to whenever I go to East Texas and I see someone with a bumper sticker that says Christians for Trump. And it led me to this scripture in the Old Testament. And I, I feel, I guess I, uh, God was telling me that when you come back this first day, you go back to the beginning. 
the beginning and set the groundwork for what we need to do as a body of believers. And I, I, was, I was led to this scripture, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Just this one simple verse. I mean, it's a whole story that's going on with this, but just this particular verse, Genesis 3, verse 9. And then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I, I, I think about several years back, T-Mobile, I think it was, had that advertising campaign. They didn't say, where are you? Where are you at? I think it was T-Mobile. Where are you at? That was the big thing. Everybody was getting their phones from T-Mobile just because they had these, the young hip-hop people representing the company and it sounded good. Where are you at? But God is asking, where are you? Uh, uh, I was at work a few weeks ago and they had those days where you, you put on your earphones, you don't want to be disturbed. And I just turned to YouTube and went to uh, one of Sinbad's summer, summer funk jams. And he had all of these, these, uh, these great bands and groups from the, the 70s and the early 80s that were recreating these songs and I'm sitting at my desk, I could hardly get any work done because it was song after song and people looking at me because I'm tapping my feet and everything else. And they had this one group that come out and they, as they did their, they, they finished the song that, that I was, got looked at crazy because I'm singing along with it, you're still a young man. <laughs> Tower of power. And after they finished that song, they, they asked the question, he said, we got the, the, the eternal question. And every time I, I started watching different video clips of, of Tower of Power, and every time they play that song, we're going to ask the eternal question. What is hip? And I, I thought, boy, you know, the first time I heard it, I just laughed because I remember that song, and I'm just jamming to the song, I'm sitting at my desk, and you just don't, you don't really get to hear, you know, well, and then Little in Texas, I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> You got to search out this type of music. But he's asked, this is the eternal question. And I'm like, no, nah, bro, as much as I love the song, the eternal question is not what is hip. The eternal question starts. This is literally the first question God asked in the Bible. Where are you? Not what is hip. Where are you? And it just really struck me. And, it, and when you think of that question, where are you? And it, if you like me and you're driving down Recreational Vehicle Boulevard and you're looking at all these people who don't have homes, and I'm here, God, asking me, where are you, Ron Thomas? Where are you, Road to Damascus Church? Where are you, Christian folks who say you love me? Say you know me. Where, where are the people who are, are so against uh, Islam because we're a Christian nation, but yet why are my people living on the street? Where are you? The eternal question that we have to answer for ourselves when we hear God is that we understand if you read the few scriptures before, <coughs> you see Adam and Eve were in paradise. And they had already been given the instruction on everything they were allowed to do. Yeah. Everything they can and the one thing they couldn't do. Eat from this certain tree. Yeah. And they go out 
with Adam and Eve, and, and the serpent comes and, and tempts Eve, and, and Adam's standing there, well, you know, just with, like, got somebody talking to his wife, and he's standing there like nothing. But then they find out that uh, they, they eat the fruit, and then, as they say, their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked, and they hid themselves. And, and so God is now coming, and it said in... Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? There was clearly some fellowship, a relationship that existed between God and his creation. To the point that he comes to the garden looking for them. You know, one of the things I always talk about, the English language. I mean, you have some things are very good about it and some things are kind of kooky. I mean, where are you is a complete sentence. Uh, uh, but for, if I'm correct, I got a teacher in the house. If I'm correct, where is the adverb? You've got the adverb, the subject, and, uh, and you've got a, a subject, a verb, an adverb. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> The where is the adverb, you know, describing the action. We're looking for, God is looking for us because the where is signifying there is some distance that exists between Adam and God. Something is existing or a distance, there's a gap there. There's something that's keeping Adam away from God. There's something there and it doesn't have to be physical distance. It could be spiritual distance. Where are you? Uh, Maybe it's intimate distance that we have in our relationships. Uh, uh, again, I'm on my music kick this morning. I, I remember hearing this song of the OJs. Your body's here with me, but your mind's on the other side of town. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, physically, you're here. Intimately, you're somewhere else. Where are you? And God is looking for Adam, and he's looking for us and saying, where are you? I, I see you here, you're here, but you're nowhere near me. Uh, so you may you may think that you're hiding from God because it said here it was it in verse eight in verse eight uh, that they they hid. Uh, where was I? Didn't know I was looking for some. Yeah, that's right. And it's like hid for themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All I had to do was read a little further, and I would have saw what I was looking for. The, the, the this idea. That we as believers take on the same manner of Adam and Eve. We are hiding amongst God's creation. That God created the garden, the place he knows because he created it. And they're hiding amongst his creation. And you look at us as a body of believers. And I'm not just talking about me and not just talking about Road to Damascus. I'm talking about the Christian community as a whole. We are hiding in plain sight. we, We go out. And say, we, you know, I, I went actually this week, uh, last week, as I was moving, I said, you know, we're going moving, it's going to be a new day, so I went and got me a new Bible. I'm walking in this store, walking out with my nice big Bible, because I want everybody to know that Ron Thomas is a Christian. When I take my Bible to work, I got it out prominently displayed so everybody can see Ron Thomas has a Bible. But my actions don't always say that I am a believer of God. And God says to me sometimes, where are you? 
I'm out here camouflaging, hiding in the trees and God's creation because I want everybody else to feel comfortable around me. Yeah. I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I want you to be yourself. You know, don't worry about that when somebody comes to you and they start cursing. Oh, excuse me. Oh, don't worry about that. That's you just do you. See, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want you to feel uneasy around me. But the reality of the situation is, I don't want you to cut me off. I don't want you to call me a Bible thumper. I don't want you to say Ron's changed, even though I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to have changed. And if I walk into a room and we're then a certain action is taking place, everything should change because I walk in there. They shouldn't continue with the same behavior because if they continue with the same behavior, they're comfortable with me, which means I engage in that behavior. We hide ourselves in the presence of God among the trees of the garden and camouflage, pretending to be something that we're not. And it is just so shameful because we, we have these people Christians for Trump. Did I say that earlier to go to my restaurant? And I wonder, huh, is this a kind of person who thinks it's okay to talk about women the way he does? Is this the kind of Christian that thinks it's okay to behave in the manner in which he behaves? Is this the kind of Christian that thinks it's okay when God says that we are supposed to be kind to the widow and the orphan? And the foreigner, because we are a foreign, once a foreigner in a strange land, do they think it's okay to separate parents and children at the border because you have a policy that says, this is my land, and you can't come here because I say so. So we got children locked in cages. And people that actually defend them and saying, this is just, just like camp. I know people that wish they had houses that look better. They were in a cage. And you say that you are part of God's family and you think it's okay to lock children in a cage. One of my favorite movies is The Godfather. And, uh, well, actually, Godfather, Godfather 2. And, and I know it's not popular, but I like Godfather 3, too. But in Godfather 2, they set the stage on how Vito Corleone became Vito Corleone. And, and we see the scene that his dad was killed by a local mobster. And then his son, his older brother, Vito's older brother, swore vengeance against the monster, so they killed him. And the mother goes to Don, I can't remember his name, but goes to the monster and begs for mercy that she not kill her young son, Vito. And she grabs the man and puts a knife to his throat and tells her son to leave because the man said, no, when he grows old, he will come for a vendetta against me. And I think about this, what do we as a nation that wonder why we look at why the world hates us. When you're taking children, separating them from their families, and think that traumatic stress that is happening to those children not affect them to the place that when they become older and say, I hate this land. Or even better yet, just the fact that you have the, the, the atheist group that wonder, you call yourself a Christian and you think this is okay? See, we even have atheists asking, where are you? God is not only asking the eternal question. Atheists are asking us, where are you? Why are you standing silently by as families are torn apart? 
And I even heard them say on the news that sometimes, or some of, not sometimes, some of these kids will never see their mother and father again. Now, if you just put your place, yourself in their place, you put yourself in that place, four years old, already doing something you don't want to do. You've been on the road for a month, sleeping outside, running from bandits, and you get to a place that's supposed to be the promised land. Bring me your tired, your sad, your downtrodden. They've heard that this is the land of opportunity. Only to get here and then be taken by force and thrown into a rebuilt Walmart into a cage. The trauma that we are doing to these children. Where are you, Christian folk? But that's a big, bigger thing because we can all make excuses about that. This is, that's not who I am. I don't believe in that. I don't support that because I, I like his economic policy. I got a job. Uh, I like the fact that he's, he wants, wants to protect us. We have a strong military. I didn't mean this to be political, but you, it, it's getting to this place and we're understanding that we're compromising who we are. We are hiding among the trees when God is saying, where are you? Just because you show up to my house once a week for about an hour, hour and a half, you don't know me. Your body's here. But your mind is on the other side of town. Yeah, yeah. The OJs didn't know they were being theologians when they wrote that song. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, that, that's something you can't get that in, in, in the uh, <laughs> seminary. <laughs> Where are you? And you think about the attributes of God. I, I, this mom, when I was telling you about this pro, this is where I'm now. I want to go off track from what I had. And I hate when you get this because you got your slides and this is where I'm going to go. And then all of a sudden everything changes. So I'm going to try to stick with this as much as possible. But if you think about the attributes of God and we think of where we are as believers, he, he said in Psalm 37, verse 27, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. So we, what does that got to do with where are you? He's telling us, depart from evil. But the important part of this is to go back in Genesis, to go back to the first chapter, verse 26. Here again, this is the part that I didn't, wasn't planning to go here, but now I got to. Uh, so <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He said, then God said, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Depart from evil and do good. Because God departs. He doesn't allow evil and he does good. But where are we? That's why he's asking the question. He sat there one day in the Trinitarian presence that he is and said amongst the three, let us make God in our images. And not that we physically look like God, because we know we all look different. I can't, if I'm made in the image of God, and my dad is made in the image of God, my mom is made in the image of God, Reverend Mike's wife is made in the image of God, we don't all look alike with each other. So it has to be something intrinsic when we talk about why he made us in his image, his characteristics, his, the things, the essence of what makes God God is what we are made like. 
And he says, I make us, make, we're going to make him like us in our image. And then we go around hiding in plain sight, eating the forbidden fruit. And see, when I, I was talking to my boss one day, uh, it's interesting that when you, when you get unhappy at work and you find out, you start talking to some people and you find out you're not the only one. And, and we're, we're talking, and he said to me, you know, Ron, I love the work that you do, and if any place I would go, I would take you with me, but I would understand if you just checked out. I understand if you would just check out, and I thought about this idea that I would actually go to work day after day and draw a check, but not do any work. And all I can think about, even though my dad has probably, I can't remember him actually telling me this specifically, but I already know by his actions that I can't be ruined in the Thomas name. He didn't raise me to be somebody that sloughed off. I mean, we've all had that discussion with our parents, and especially those of us who look like me, you know, that when you go to work that you have to work twice as hard as everybody else. I had that discussion. You can't come in there and do the work other people do and think you're going to get ahead. You have to work two and three times harder. And I was not supposed to ruin the name of the family. Now, you know, historically, we had some people who have done stuff in my family. We all got those, those clowns. And we, and we understand that you can look through history. I mean, even Jesus had some bad seeds, I mean, bad uh, eggs in his lineage. But all it takes is one person to turn around a, life, uh, a, a whole history of mess. So my father comes along, sets the pace of what a workplace excellence is supposed to be. I used to sit up and watch him go to work thinking, why is this man going to work when he's sick? Coughing up a lung and he's getting right up trotting out and not only going to one job, going to two full-time jobs when he should have had his butt in bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go to work and my boss says, I'd understand if you check out. I, no, I can't because if my dad found out that I was coming in here messing around, he'd still, how old, 74 years, 70, how old are you doing? 74, would try to come down there and work me over for ruining Thomas name. You just don't, he worked too hard to be who he is. God has done this incredible thing, created all of this stuff. Things we can't understand. Have, have any of you actually ever looked at a flower? I mean, no, just really, just look at a flower and how beautiful these things are. There was once upon a time I used to take flowers for granted. You, your girls, when you're dating, you go take her some flowers and whatever. This is what you got to do. Until you actually look at a flower and see the beauty and the magnificence of God's creation. How each one of these flowers, you know, whether it's a rose and the different variations of roses that exist, or a lily, or even a daisy. To look at this thing and understand with the pistol and the stamen and how it requires a bee to go from one flower to the next, to get in all these things mixed together, that we have more that will come out. And as a result of that, we get the honey from the bees. This creation, and God says, 
when he created all these things, he said, and it is good after each step. And then he creates us. And it was good. But then he says, where are you? But you think about all the things that the sin that took place, the forbidden fruit, as it were, that we continue to eat and take part of, whatever that fruit may be. Money, sex, food. I mean, it's, I already know this, this is not appropriate. This is not how God created me to be. But I think about how many meals I have never missed. And I see the people out here on the street with no home. Hey, you know, God, where are you when you're sitting there in this house that I gave you? I mean, what, what am I supposed to do with this new job and this new promotion that I have? And then just think that it's just be, I just got this just because? Unless I do God's work. Otherwise, I'm doing it like everybody else. I'm hiding in the trees. God is coming because I had a relationship with him one day that he knew that every day if he comes to this spot in the garden at this time, we're going to fellowship together. But one day I decide my will is more important than God's will. And God is saying, where are you? Even yesterday, when I think about the fact that we, we had a memorial service for my aunt, and we were, I, I, I talked about the, uh, that scripture in Proverbs 17, 17, that said family is, I uh, can't even remember exactly, but family comes, sticks together through all situations. Yeah, yeah. But God will be asking us when we can't get along with a family member, where are you? Yeah. Where are you when you were mad at this person? You expect me to forgive you? Where were you at this time? He said, even told us that in Luke, Luke chapter 635. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Where are you? The one thing that's very easy for us to sit around and criticize Christians that support Trump, and we can talk about them all day, but that's not what God is expecting us to do. Be kind to the unthankful and the evil. So even though this man has actually instituted a policy that separates women from their children, fathers from their children, we still better be thankful, I mean kind to them. That is certainly an evil act. And we wonder, you hear the question from the atheist, well, if God is so good, why are these things happening? Because God is walking in the cool of the garden looking for us. Where are you? When you have policies that are separating families, where are you when our young boys are being shot in the street? Where are you when economic policies dictate that it's cheaper to go steal than it is to work? Where are you when black boys are being incarcerated at rates beyond anybody else? Where are you when schools don't have adequate supplies, but administrators are making six-figure income? Where are you? When we see women on the corners and we walking around glorifying rappers that call themselves pimps, where are you? Where are you? Where are God's people? Where are you when your friends are out there doing dirt, but you're not engaging in the dirt, but you condone it? Where are you? And we've all been there. Well, it don't involve me. That ain't mine my concern. But God told us also, 
1 Peter 1, verse 15 through 16, why it's important for us to be able for God to find us. But as he who called you holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I love the intentionality of the writer. He wasn't making it any, giving you any variation for anything. He just said it clear. Be holy in all your conduct. All encompasses everything. He didn't say be holy in some of your conduct. Be holy when it's convenient for you. He said be holy in all of your conduct, which means there are going to be times when it's inconvenient to be holy, but be holy. There's going to be times when your people are going to be talking about you, but be holy. There are going to be times when somebody is going to say, I can't hang around him anymore. Be holy. Because when God is walking in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? You can be like that prophet. Here I am. Or was it Buckwheat used to say, here I is. Here I is, God. You need me? I'm right here waiting for you, God. You want me to do what? You want me to pray for somebody? Remember, remember the elder when you were talking about the time that you were supposed to, you felt the spirit say pray and you didn't? See, God is saying, where are you? Because we all have those times that don't even seem rational. Give this person $20. Go up to this person and ask them what's wrong. Can you pray for them? Uh, uh, this family needs some place to stay. Open up your home for a weekend. I ain't opening up my house. Are you kidding me? This lady stink. Where are you? Where are you? Road to Damascus. We have a new opportunity. We have a new chance. I, I sat there. I, I was uh, uh, looking at Facebook and I posted because I, I got on LinkedIn several years ago and I saw you know, LinkedIn gives you uh, notifications when people see your, your profile. And all of a sudden, who's hitting up my profile? Toyota HR reps. Like, what, what, why are they looking at my profile? HR? I don't know you. I mean, these people, I don't know them. Now, I could get stupid, or I can be godly. So God, when he says, where are you, I can still display the character, because I certainly my first instinct was to shoot them back. What, what are you doing? We done cut ties. This is over. I was thinking that maybe they were trying to do that. Uh, it was the Michael Jackson song, I Want You Back. <laughs> but we got a new opportunity, R2D. Okay, yeah, I did have this script. The New Testament church, Peter founded this church, Acts chapter 2. One of the scriptures that stands out to me more, almost as much, well, in the top, say, 20, top 25. Because it speaks to people who are God is not having to ask, where are you? These are people who fellowship with each other, fellowship with God, and things were being done. Acts 2, verse 44 through 45. Now all who believed were together and they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. As anyone had need. Are you going to sell one of your cars to send somebody to make sure some kid has school clothes for the year? 
And have you ever heard of somebody that will say, I'm going to give my car to this family so they don't have to take their kids on the bus and I'll ride the bus because I've passed that stage. Anybody go do that? Yeah. 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 Remember the, the Shunammite woman who, who, when Elisha comes to town, she goes to her husband and says, let's build a room. So whenever he comes to town, he's got some place to stay. Are we adding room addition to our house so we can provide a home transitional housing for somebody? You think about all the things that God is calling us to do as Christians. Where are you? I got this big old house. When we, I was teaching my Bible study, I, I, I said we were talking about this idea of what does our life reflect to the world. And I asked somebody in particular, I said, what does your home say about your relationship with God? And one guy said, my home is open to God and anything he wants to have done. I said, okay, what happens if I walk inside your house? What says your house is a house of God? Do you have an altar set up in your home? Is there a dedicated space in your house to glorify God when you can't come to church or won't come to church? Are there images around it? Because Lord knows we got images all over our house. Picked up everything we love. People, cars, dogs, cats. Is there a picture or an image of anything that says I love God in my house? Is there a crucifix somewhere? Do we have scriptures on the wall? Scriptures are some of the most beautiful things ever written. We'll put poems. Have the uh, uh, Edgar, oh, I can't think of it. Old, Old Henry, I think, was a poet. Wadsworth was a poet. We'll have all this stuff around our house, but do we have anything that says, I love the Lord? Where are you? Where are you? One of the things that we know we got to do, we got to get back to where we were. Our original mission of this church was to build this community. And we lost that. We got to get back to building diligent with the food bank. We started seeing it with the school supplies. Was that for your school, Monica? Yes. Okay. We got to get back to more of that. We got to meet the needs of the people who need to have needs met. If clothes need to be bought, we need to buy some uniforms like we did before. We need school supplies. We need to, we need to fellowship with other churches. Yeah pool our resources and start building our community. Yes. There should not be any distrust. We shouldn't have anything in our character that would have people distrust turning over money to us so we can be like the Acts, the, the, the apostles in, in chapter Acts chapter 2. That when you come to this place, your money will be used for God's purposes. Where are you, church? Where are you? God is asking that question, the eternal question for all of us, not what is hip. He's not telling us we're still young men and women. He just wants to know, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Amen. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you and pray.